Would you join me this morning in the book of Nehemiah chapter 12? Nehemiah chapter 12. And I want to read selected verses if you would just follow me. Nehemiah chapter 12. I think I'll begin reading in verse 31. Actually, I'll back up verse 27. Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27. I'm going to read this morning from the New Living Translation. It gives us a bit more practical understanding of the subject matter. Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27. For the dedication of the new wall of Jerusalem the Levites throughout the land were asked to come to Jerusalem to assist in the ceremonies. They were to take place, I'm sorry, they were to take part in the joyous occasion with their songs of thanksgiving and with music of cymbals, harps, and the singers were brought together from the regions all around Jerusalem. Verse 31, I led the leaders of Judah to the top of the wall and organized two large choirs to give thanks. One of the choirs proceeded southward along the top of the wall to the Dung Gate. And if you would drop down to verse 38, the second choir giving thanks went northward around the other way to meet them. And I followed them together with the other half of the people along the top of the wall past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. I want to use those selected verses this morning to serve as a launching pad for me to talk about why I believe every church needs a choir. why every church needs a choir. In 2016, a former classmate and colleague of mine who preaches for the American Baptist churches was assigned a congregation in Anchorage, Alaska. And when she arrived there, she noticed that as they moved through the worship service, that there was no recording indication of a choir in the order of service. Upon conclusion, she decided to dialogue with the leadership to ask where was the choir on that particular day. And the leadership unveiled unto her that a previous pastor had taught the congregation and persuaded the congregation that any singing beyond congregational singing was unbiblical. The interpretation that that particular minister arrived to came from a misinterpretation of Galatians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5. In a state of unnecessary panic, my colleague texts a group of us who remain committed and connected to each other after our seminary days with a single question. What do I do? 
we have no choir in this church at all. What do I do? I thought I'd wait and see how everyone else responded, but no one seemed to be responding immediately, so I chimed in with my two cents worth. And I said to her, first of all, let me recount. This is not your first church. This is your third church to my memory. You ought to know what to do based off a of mere observation alone. But if that's not well enough, I said, you were born and raised in Philadelphia in the Baptist church. How are you going to tell me you don't know what to do that you don't have a choir? I said, well, the first thing you probably want to do is you want to re-educate your congregation to help them understand that their previous teaching was erroneous. That throughout the Bible, there is clear indication that not only was singing a required effort in worship, but that certain individuals selected choirs to help sing and lead worship. I said, secondly, inform them that if they need a base of why a church has a choir, they need to study the history of the Levites. For the erroneous teaching is that the Levites were only high priests, and that's only partially true. Levites were also responsible for leading music in the worship. They would be what we would call the foundation of creating choirs. Third, I say, once you get them educated in that realm, help them understand that congregational singing is good, but it's only one dimension. It's one dimension in the sense that you are restricted in the genre to be sung because when congregations come together to sing, remember, there's no rehearsal. There's no identifying of voice parts. There's not even identifying of the music in terms of what we're going to play. We just simply roll along. I said, have you ever noticed some churches when we sing, we, our voices are all over the place when we sing congregationally wise. I said, most importantly, when you don't have a choir and you do strict congregational leading, the person who has been gifted with the voice or with the gift of singing, we don't know who they are. And there is something about when you have a person who can stand out in their gift to sing that's encouraging to the congregation that otherwise cannot be known unless they are singing via solo or as a part of the choir. Then I said, the final thing you need to do is you need to have a call. You need to find out from your congregation who wants to be a part of the choir and start having auditions to find out what voices you have uh, there available to create the choir, whether they are altos, whether they are sopranos, whether they are bass or tenors, what have you. And then I had to text the question, do you have a worship leader or a minister of music at all? And then there was a response, I have a minister of music, and then I said, well, what in the world is that person doing? If you have a minister of music and that person is not the champion for a choir, you might want to get you another minister of music. Yeah. I said, but let me give you a biblical base that's even stronger why you need a choir. 
And I began to introduce her to the context of Nehemiah chapter 12. And I thought on this day of celebration, as we look at the ministers of, of the ministry of music in our own ministry and performing arts, there is something about uh, appreciation that you can't actually do it without an evaluation. And we don't really appreciate that we have a music ministry until perhaps one day we come and there's no music at all. We complain about their late, we complain about their out of tune, we complain about they sing the same song because I'm one of the complainers. But at the same time, if you notice, if they're not here, we're going to have a bigger complaint. We're going to say, where the choir at? And if we, if we tell you, well, they're not here because we had no appreciation and they just got tired of singing, so they say, that's it. We're going to fold up our tent, the end of the story, that's it, put a period there, and the music ministry is gone. And then we're left to congregational music, and the thing about congregational music is someone still has to lead off. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not going to lead off on those songs for congregational music. <laughs> And so even as uh, mistake-prone and as imperfect and as frustrating perhaps at times that the music ministry might be, every church needs a choir. You need someone who's willing to step out of the realm of being in the congregation and set themselves apart to serve in ministry serve the congregation. There is two reasons. There's a theological reason why you need a choir, and that is there's an underpinning in terms of why God would have us to have a choir slash separate group of persons who actually minister unto us. I told you about the Levites, but when you read the book of Psalms, you read another group called the Sons of Asaph who were once again a choir. You'll read about choir directors in the book of Psalms, which suggests to us that somehow when it comes to worship, you do need a choir to minister unto us. Theological reason is because there's a God underpending as to why you need a choir. It not only serves and honors God, but it serves a congregation, but there's a practical theological reason we need a choir. That is that you can get people out of the pew and into the choir loft for ministry that they may display the gift that God has given them. So look closely at the text in Nehemiah 12, and there's a reason why that the Bible says Nehemiah selected two choirs. One reason is because, if you read verse 27, it was because they were going to celebrate. That's the first point. You need a choir because of celebrations. This is also the reason why every church not only needs a choir, but it needs a mass choir. Because when you read Nehemiah, you'll discover in chapter 12 that not just a selected group of just the Levites and others as they gathered from Jerusalem who were singers place, but they used everybody to sing. That meant that everyone who was a part of music at some point in time, particularly during celebrations, they all sung together. 
and they sung together because it was time to celebrate. What were they celebrating? They were celebrating the return from the exile. Remember, they had been in exile for 70 years, and yet now they had returned back to Jerusalem, and Nehemiah, inquiring how the people was, was informed that they're not doing well, and on top of that, the walls of Jerusalem have been destroyed. And as a result of that, they in return joined forces together and rebuilt the wall. And watch this. If you read Nehemiah chapter 1 through chapter 11, you'll notice something interesting. And that is, you will never find the text saying, and God did this, or God persuaded that, or God hardened this, or God did that. Why? Because at least we understand in celebration you don't always get to see where God influences, but also you celebrate to celebrate the fact that they came together as a group to get an assignment done. They did more than just prayed about it. I get so sick and tired of people talking about, let's pray about it. No, let's put our gloves on and get some work done. And read the text. They had a reason to celebrate. And in celebration, they knew that you could have all the festivals, but you need somebody who would be dedicated to sing glory unto God. And verse 31 and verse 38 says that Nehemiah selected two choirs. And I just like the fact that it said he selected two large choirs. He sent one to the left and the other to the right and they were to meet up which once again suggested to me that when you have a choir it should be the representation of unity when we come out to sing to the glory of God. We can fuss and fight all we want in rehearsal. That's, that's all right. That's what we do behind closed doors. We can throw chairs. We can throw pews. We can throw comments. We can do all we want but when it comes time to worship when it comes time to come out before God to do ministry, we better be on one accord. Amen. That's what it says right there in verse 31 and 38. It says that Nehemiah selected two groups and he sent one to the left and one to the right that they may come together in the end and begin to lift up their voices. Why? Because we need a choir on special occasions to help us celebrate how God has blessed us along the way. And the other reason is that we need a choir also because when I come to church on Sunday morning, I'm not necessarily in a congregational singing mode. I'm expecting for a choir to sing unto me because I need to hear a word from God and the word can come in a sense of celebration that as they celebrate God, they help me celebrate God as well. But that's the theological reason why you need a choir. There's a practical reason. And the practical reason is you need a choir because it provides opportunities for people in the congregation to serve. Amen. Come on, teach right now. Teach. You only need one, maybe two facilitators in a Bible study to do Bible study. But when it comes to a choir, you need a multiple number of people because you have various voices that need to be heard. And people need to understand you don't have to be able to carry a tune. Here's the great thing about a choir. Even if you can't carry a tune, we can hide you very well behind somebody who can sing. 
But the main thing is you are out of the pew of doing nothing into another section of the church doing work. And Nehemiah got the people together. He pulled them together because he knew that I needed a choir to do celebration. But then there's a second reason. The second reason he got the choir together was because he knew that in order for them to enjoy celebration, they would need confirmation. And the confirmation comes particularly out of verse 40. And listen to what he says. They need to understand that in their working that it was not in vain. Watch this. When you go back and read Nehemiah chapter 4 all the way down to chapter 9, Nehemiah had a tough time keeping the people of God together. In fact, while he was rebuilding the wall, there were those who were inside the circle of the tent who turned against Nehemiah. And that wasn't bad enough. There were those who also decided to withdraw their funds from helping to build the wall. I'm telling you, modern church and the drama that we see ain't nothing new. It's all throughout scripture. It's the same stuff in just a different set of clothing and time frame. They got mad at him. And Nehemiah had to labor. And on top of that, Nehemiah had to be practical. He knew that in building the wall, when the shift was over during the day, he had to employ a night shift, but he also had to employ security. Because his enemy would come in and try to destroy what he had done. And employing security, they had to watch over the work at night. And Nehemiah had a tough time deciding who could actually serve in security. Because there were some folk who were actually trying to stab him in the back. And watch this. Those same people are the same ones in the choir. The same ones who served on the door, the same ones who served security on the wall were the same ones that Nehemiah selected to serve in the large group. And that's because Nehemiah understood that they were not perfect and that they were still works in progress. But at the same time, in order to push people some time to grow, you have to force them to some degree into recognizing it's important that you serve in ministry and not just be a pew dweller. And there it is right there in verse 40. They needed confirmation. Listen to what the text said in verse 40. The two choirs that were giving thanks then proceeded to the temple of God. That tells us right there that Nehemiah says, now we can stand on the wall and sing to the glory of God. And nothing wrong with that because Nehemiah said, I want everybody on the outside. And he was specifically identifying Sanballat, Tobiah, and Gershom, the three who were against him in rebuilding the wall and who were working in cahoots with others in the, inside of Jerusalem trying to keep him from rebuilding the wall, he said that when the wall got completed, I want the choir to go outside and stand at the wall and I want you to sing to the glory of God because I want my enemy to know what you meant for evil. God meant it for the good. 
But then he said in verse 40, now once we get finished, I want us to come back into the house of God and I want us to get together and watch this. Y'all, some of y'all going to find this amazing, but here's a tradition in the black church that we used to do. We don't do it much now because some believe it's insignificant, but here's at least a theological base for it. It said they proceeded together. You know what that word means in the Hebrew? They processioned into the temple of God. I just gave a kudos to all my traditions, but they love that point right there. That means we need to start procession again as a choir. But watch this. I am convinced, though, that they weren't late. I'm convinced that they were punctual and on time. And I'm also convinced that they knew what they were singing. That meant that they had been to rehearsal. That meant that they had learned the music so that when they marched in, well, they marched in not only in rhythm and in sync, but when their voices came up, it shook the realm. I'm going to show you later on how Nehemiah says, when you sing, you sing to the point where you shake the rafters. That's why you need a choir. You need somebody who will step out front and lift their voice and tell the enemy in the name of Jesus, we are lifting our hands high and we are declaring the glory of God in song and we're going to shake the rafters of this place. They needed confirmation that what they were doing was not in vain. But then there's a third reason. There's a third reason. They not only needed confirmation, but they needed to understand the importance of community. See, here's the practical aspect. When you have uh, a choir, it also helps us produce good congregational singing. See, remember when I told you earlier, when you can't sing, we can hide you behind somebody who can. When the choir knows how to sing, when they have worked on their song, when they are singing a hymn that we're familiar with, some of us ain't doing nothing but lip singing. But we sound good as a congregation. And people listen to be like, man, they can sing in that church. No, not all of us can sing, but some of us. But we sound good because the opportunity helps create good congregational singing. But then there's a third practical reason for that. That is, it also helps to understand that when a good choir sings, it depicts joy. So for all my choir, this is the reason why when you need to get your act together, because when you come to worship, when people come to see you serve, they don't want to see your frowns. If your stomach ache, you either do one or two things. Get out of the choir and go sit down until you get it together or change your whole demeanor. Why? Because those who are already frowning in the congregation has come to see you who they hope is smiling before the congregation that you might give them joy in their very frownful circumstance. But it helps create community. It helps understand that when my life is burdened, when I come listen to the choir, they have a way of helping lift the burdens off of my shoulder. Listen to what Nehemiah says in verse 40. He says, when they took their places, so did I, together with the group of leaders who were with me, and we went together playing trumpets along with the priests. In other words, we sung together as a complete community. 
that everyone would understand all of us have a role to play when it comes to congregational singing, but nothing more critical than a choir who can move you to the forefront. But then there's a fourth reason, and the fourth reason is communion. Every church needs a choir for celebration. Every church needs a choir for confirmation. Every church needs a choir for community. And every church needs a choir for communion. Look, if you will, closely at the text as it begins to explore itself in verse 44. It says that on that day, well, let me back up to 43. This were offered on that day for God had given the people cause for great joy. There's your celebration again. God has given the people cause for great joy. God had given the people cause for great joy. God had given the people cause for great joy. They had rebuilt the wall. They had accomplished something. That's the reason why when you come to worship, it ought to be for celebration because when you think about what you have accomplished through the week, even though it has, may have been in a dark space, you were still alive to come to worship and to be able to celebrate. God gave you cause for great joy. And the text says they gave him cause for great joy. And as a result, they came to celebrate it, but look at what it says. It says the women and the children also participated in the celebration. Remember I told you about mass, choir, everybody got in. So here's a point, here's a point of suggestion and warning. Uh, if we argue that we can't have a mass choir because we can't get along, then we need to get along. I'm just telling you Bible. Bible says that you ought to have a mass choir on special celebration so that it would create communion and confirmation to the people that your celebration is not in vain, but it also helps create community. And it's our responsibility to make sure we need to hold the ministry of music accountable. We want to see a mass choir on special celebrations. I'm talking Bible. I'm talking Bible. Right here in the book. And if that's not good enough, watch this. The Bible says in verse 40, 43, that uh, the women and children participated in the celebration and the joy of the people could be heard from far away. Now, I want to read that, that verse in the Eugene Peterson's translation, because I think it gives more credence. It says, that day they offered great sacrifices in exuberant celebration because God had filled them with great joy. The women and children raised their happy voices. That means that you need a choir because we can hold the choir responsible. Don't sing with an attitude. Okay, no, no, you didn't get me. Let me make a claim for you. So don't think that you're the only person who can sing. Oh, we might suffer temporarily because you won't sing with your attitude, but we'll find somebody else. 
We just have to believe that somebody, and here, here's a great thing about it. One reason why it's important is because there are actually hidden gems in the congregation who we don't even know about and they won't participate because they see your frown faces on Sunday morning and decide they don't want to be a part of that drama. But here is God. God will let you cop with your attitude. That's fine. Get out the choir and go get yourself together and come back when you have. In the meantime, be careful because you might not get your spot back. Yeah, some people think because they're the only one who can sing in a particular voice that this is the reason why it's dangerous to get one person all the solos. See, because mentally we begin to begin, we begin to think that we're the only person who can do it, and it does something to us psychologically. And we think that if I don't do it well, they won't sound that good today without me. The devil is a lie. We will sound just as well without you. I have come to realize in my own ministry and I'm just waiting I'm, and I'm, I'm hoping I, I'm, I'm hoping that God is working this thing out I'm not the only one who can preach in this church that, that, do you not know I'm preparing I, here, here's, here's 411 here's, here's a 411 I'm preparing for my exit that simply means that I realize I ain't going to be here forever and my time is kind of getting close to an end. So I'm preparing that when I move out, someone else can move in. But in the meantime, I'm not the only one who can preach I know in this congregation. And God will send someone. Because I ain't scared. If you want this spot, by all means, you can have it. Because a lot of people just stand on the outside of the window looking in and think they can do what I'm doing until they have to come inside in the window where all of their effort takes place and realize, oh no, let me go back on the other side. That's why Paul said we see through a glass darkly. Yeah. So here the text is reminding us when you talk about creating communion, we don't need attitudes. So even though I need a choir, I think every church should have a choir, you don't need attitudes. Now, not attitude in the negative, but I do like attitude in the positive. I do like to see somebody own that song. I like to see them sing it with feeling, with ethos, and with pathos, and they sing it to a point where it looks like it was just tailor-made for them. That's glory. Because what that does is usher us into the presence of God where you leave out of the space of where you are. Have you ever been in a worship service and someone singing a song and it's as if that song was just tailor-made for you on that morning and you didn't care who was watching you, you didn't care who was around you, you were ushered into the presence of God. And you hated it when that person had to bring that song to a conclusion. But Eugene Peterson says, when they lifted their happy voices with all the rest, Jerusalem's jubilation was heard far and wide. 
Now, that took me back to the old church because you can't do this now in the, in the current church because we have such concealed context. So, you know, we got uh, buildings that are uh, air-conditioned and we've got these windows that are pretty uh, sealed in. You can't hear a lot of noise outside, but it took me back to the old church where, where particularly in the summer, where we didn't have any air conditioning. And we had that white sheet over the communion table because we didn't want the flies to blow the communion elements. Come on, I, I, I hope y'all know that's the real reason why we had that sheet over the communion elements. We didn't, we didn't want the flies because we had them windows up and them flies were coming in and them funeral home fans, we were fanning ourselves doing all of that heat. But when the Spirit of God came in that place, you could hear us far and wide. You, you could hear us a mile away and, and someone might, might be asking, where's all that noise? They down there at that church singing and making loud. Why? Because when you lift up your voice in jubilation unto God, the ears of God are perked to those who celebrate who he is and then God sends a fresh wind and in return you say, I thought I wasn't going to tell nobody, but I couldn't keep it to myself. There it is right here in the text. There's another practical reason why every church needs a choir. Because when you have a choir, it highlights diversity in the church. See, if you notice, not everybody in this choir sings bass. Not everybody sings tenor. Not everybody sings alto. Now, you may have one more than the other, but not everybody sings the same voice. If you also know that, not all of them look the same. Some are tall, some are short, uh, some are slim, and some are uh, whatever else you want to use. Some are dark, some are light. Some are all black, some are gray. Look at that diversity. Some are young, some are old. Choirs is the one ministry in church where we can depict diversity. We can show everyone across generational ties in our church that you're not too young nor are you too old to sing in ministry. Now listen to what the text clears and then I'm done. I text my friend back and let her know uh, here's a word that you cannot resist. In verse 45 it says they perform the services of their God and the services of purification as commanded by David and his son Solomon which just simply means they were in the mode in worship to provide sacrifice for cleansing one of the things the church or uh, the choir should do the reason why you need a choir is the choir helps of repentance they remind us in the song selection that they do how we need to be before the face of God and seeking God's forgiveness. I wish I could tell you where you could understand. You, you won't understand because you don't have to stand here. But each Sunday I feel unworthy to stand here. 
almost to the point where I, I don't want to come because I'm not worthy enough. I haven't been good enough. I'm not righteous enough. I'm sorry, that might be a newsflash for those of you who thought I was way up here in some spiritual plateau. Unfortunately for you, I'm down here where you are, working out my soul's salvation. And I need the choir too because when I come in here sometime on Sunday morning, uh, unlike you, or should I say just like you, I don't unlift my burden all the time at the altar and leave it there. I take mine and pick it up and carry it back with me and I allow myself to become overburdened sometimes. And I need the choir to help me unleash that load. That's why every church needs a choir. But here's my voice. Verse 46 says that the custom, hey, 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 go, uh, Shucks. Uh, I'm gonna tell you one other point. Man, uh, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you go. But I wanted to make the point, I'm not gonna have time to do it. Uh, we also need to understand that in having the choir, which is demanded by scripture, we also are demanded to have a music ministry that's loud. Because <laughs> you know nowadays, one of our complaints is, they so loud. But if you read scripture, there's a suggestion in scripture that they were meant to be loud. Uh, and, and I base that off of Job 38 verse 7 where it says the sons of God and the morning stars sung together. That just means that in heaven when angels uh, began to sing together, they would sing high enough and loud enough that anything in its proximity would hear the effects of its reverberation. And when you're hearing loud music, you feel the bass, you feel the drum, and if you got a Hammond organ, you can so not feel that Hammond organ. And if you got a pipe organ, forget it. We done exit into glory already, just that quick. Yeah. But, but listen to this text. Listen, here it is. Here's the exit. Don't you shout. Don't you shout over there when I read this text. The custom, watch this, just to show you that we've always had choirs, even back to the Old Testament. Listen, verse, 40, verse 46 of chapter 12. The custom of having choir directors. To lead the choirs in hymns of praise and thanksgiving to God began long ago in the days of David. So I text my friend and told her, I don't know what that preacher taught, but you need to take Nehemiah 12 and undo what he's done and tell your folk you need a choir. You need a choir based on the word of God because we have always, watch this, you won't find a choir until we get to temple worship. So that's the reason why Nehemiah says, uh, not, uh, not until the days of David do we find a time. You don't need a choir when we have the tabernacle, but you need one when we got to the temple. Why? Because it's a stationary setting and we're coming into the same place repetitively and we need to exercise the power of rituals. Here, once again, here's a, here's a kudos for my traditionalists. That is the reason why you need some rituals. 
See, because those rituals remind us of the history. Our problem is we don't learn the history behind the ritual. We just do it because grandmama and grandmama and grandmama. No, find out why we did it. So it will maintain its meaning. That's how you keep a ritual going. You find out why it was done, what gave birth to it, and then that gives energy as we move along. It gives reason why we need to do the ritual. One reason why you could never repay, or you could never, should I say, stop a Jewish person from celebrating Yom Kippur is because they are always going to remember the exodus. You're never going to pay any Jewish person that understands his history or her history to disregard the exodus. Not going to happen. They are going to constantly celebrate that because it has history. And when they come together for their Passover, they remember how God historically brought them out. Here's my final point and I'm done. We, should, we need a choir because the choir helps us remember we need to remember certain celebratory days in our history. We should remember June 13th. See, some of you trying to figure out, what is June 13th? What is we should remember that day. Uh, I said something, Exxon's gonna probably remember this. I said something, I heard something yesterday that bothered me. I heard a preacher say something that bothered me. And, and let, me, let me lay the foundation properly before you misunderstand what I said. The preacher said that I, I was told that we are free because of the Emancipation Proclamation. And then the preacher said, uh, I say no. We are free because of what Jesus done at Calvary. And then I stopped. Wait, 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 hold on. No, you're not free because of what Jesus done at Calvary. Because if you argue from the premise that you are free from slavery because of what Jesus done at Calvary, then what happened to the slaves who didn't get to be free? You think about that, ain't you? Yeah. Yeah, see, be careful when you use certain terms because unless you, unless you understand how it connects, you, you're going to put, listen, one reason why I think in Nehemiah you don't hear about God doing X, Y, Z is because the people had to recognize we can't accomplish some things without actually doing it ourselves. Oh, okay. Okay, so you're going to tell me then that you got your job because you just sat there and it just came to you? You got to work. My premise was that the preacher was a bit off because he misunderstood. We got the Emancipation Proclamation not just because of Abraham Lincoln, but because of abolitionists and black slaves who revolted and who fought that we might be free. Do you know what would have happened if we did absolutely nothing but stayed in a position of reserve? We might be, had it not been for the transition of the industry, we might have still some form of slavery. So I argue not because of what Jesus done on Calvary. That's your spiritual freedom. Your physical freedom came because you fought. And I'm trying to underline the point for you. Some stuff God ain't doing for you until you put your own gloves on and put your own work boots on and put your own helmet on and put your own butt in gear and get the work done. That's the only way it's going to happen. 
So I said that to say, acquire don't happen. It's not an osmosis. It just doesn't fall out of heaven. You can pray all you want. Don't do any rehearsal. Just pray all you want. Lord, help us be harmonized on Sunday morning. Lord, help us sing the right song. Lord, help the musicians be on time. Lord, help the timing to be in the music. It ain't happening. Unless you get out here during the week and work on your voice and the musicians work on their craft and then you come together to rehearse, that's how a choir gets together. I'm a believer and I'm probably, once again, old school, outdated, historic, antiquated, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I believe practice does make perfect. Uh, I had one millennial tell me that now we don't do a lot of practicing. A lot of practice is not good for you. I said, I don't know who, you told, who told you that and what theory you got that from. But my understanding, and I, I can almost tell you, I ain't the smartest nor am I the sharpest knife in the drawer. But I can tell you this much. If you don't practice, I know exactly how you going to sound. I had a member tell me one time, well, the pastor should come to choir rehearsals. I said, no, I don't. All I got to do is go in my chair and sit and wait for you on Sunday morning. I can tell just how much practice you did during the week. I don't, and what am I going to do at your, your, your choir rehearsal? I ain't directing no choir. I'm not playing any instrument. I'm not teaching any parts. I'm not going to be a spectator because on Sunday morning, I can just sit there and I can determine, yep, they did practice. Nope, they didn't do anything. And if they did come together, they didn't do anything significant. It doesn't just happen. You got to work to make choir ministry work. Here's my final point. We need choir because it promotes teamwork. Teamwork. The altos have a part. The tenors have a part. Sopranos have a part. Bass have a part. And what do they call them for? What do they call them? Uh, who do them all? What do they call them people who do them all? Alt. Al, what is it? Contratos? What is it? Contrasting, yeah. They got a part. I don't think you ever see, I, I, or let me say it this way. When you see the soprano trying to sing the alto part and the alto trying to sing the bass part and the bass trying to sing the alto or the soprano part, it don't work. It's almost like trying to put a circle into a square hole. It's just not going to work. But teamwork says... You do your thing, alto. I do my thing, tenor. You do your thing, soprano. You do your thing, uh, bass. And the director, that's why you need a director. Somebody, you know, I kind of thought one day, and this came to be a real true fact to me when I was coming in, landing in a plane, I got to thinking one day, if that guy wasn't out there with those fluorescent little things, you know, directing the plane over here. Wonder what kind of runway we would have out here. 
Then I got to thinking, that, those folks sitting up in that tower uh, that tell bro man, okay, now it's time for you to come in. What would happen if they weren't in that tower? And, and, and this is for all my choir directors. I do understand what you are doing and what you do do is a very stressful job. Do you know that they say that the actual most stressful job in America is an air traffic controller? In fact, it's so stressful that they cannot get many of its workers to take a vacation because the job becomes so addictive and the person who is doing the air traffic controlling becomes so possessive that they become to a point where they don't want a plane to miss its proper landing and they begin to think that can't nobody do that but them. And so they suffer a tremendous amount of, of stress and hypertension. Translate that into a choir director when you're trying to direct a bunch of people who want to do what they want to do, who want to sing the way they want to sing, who won't listen to direction, and who is a singer but think they know how to direct, and then they're going to tell the musicians how to play the note and can't play a note at all themselves. I understand your stress. And yet, that's the reason why every church still needs a choir. Because in the midst of all of that chaos, God anoints, touches, supplies, infuse people with the ability to help, you know, work through the maze of that chaos and bring order. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. In verse 44 through 47, they depicted nothing but a passion for worship as they were singing, but led by the choir. So let me just give you this final piece of advice. Every now and then, tell the choir they did a good job. I said every now and then, I... I didn't say every Sunday, although they would receive it, but the only problem is you tell them every Sunday, I'm afraid that might explode their heads. But when they sung your song, and that song blessed your spirit, come on by and tell somebody in the choir, tell the choir leader, man, y'all bless my heart today. Thank you so much for doing that. Tell the musician, listen, and I, I, don't, I don't have time to deal with 1 Chronicles 15, but tell the musician, even they playing loud, man, if you guys weren't here, see, we have so transitioned and changed from generation as a culture that it would be hard for us to have worship without musicians. Why y'all got quiet on me now? You know I'm telling the truth. See, before, when we had very few, nothing but a piano, y'all remember we had nothing but a piano? And sometimes we didn't even have that. We just had the wooden floor, which became our entire orchestra. And we, that's right, and we did it with our feet and our hands. Try that now. Ain't nobody coming back to your church. Man, they sound good, but they ain't got no music. They ain't got no drummers, no nothing. You see the danger of what happens, though, when you misplace the gospel for goods. See, these are all goods. These are all goods that can be washed out. But the gospel, 
That's here. That's here. That's here. That's the reason why I love to hear Mahalia Jackson. Mahalia Jackson didn't need an instrument at all. If she just stood there and sung. My fear is that we have now shifted in gospel music to a place where we're trying to mimic society R&B so much because we want that audience that we are doing what they do to get what they get. So now when I look at a guy, for example, I look at the Stella Awards, I'm like, shoot, that ain't no different than the Soul Train Awards. They're doing the same thing. Everybody got to be glistered up in their dress. Everybody got to have dancers on the stage. I don't need no darn dancers. I need someone to stand there and sing for me. I don't need that kind of dance. I don't need no one to be doing all this to the, to, to the hem. Sing. Show me you've been before the face of God and sing to the glory of God. I don't need you to parade around in your tight dress, show me all your curves and show me all your chest. Stand there and sing to the glory of God. Brothers up there in his little clothes looking like he just came out the club. I don't need for you to do that, man. Stand there and look like a man of God and sing for the glory of God. I'm going to really mess y'all up now. That's why we need a choir because I love the old choir. You had a choir robe on. Yeah, see? I know the contemporary church say, it's hot. It's hot. I went when it was hot. No, we use robes for two reasons. One, so we don't have to see that we're not properly dressed for worship. And there is a dress code for worship. I ain't got time to talk about that now, but there is a dress code for worship. When you read the Old Testament, they were not allowed just to come just as you are any kind of way. I know, I know you're saying God cares more about my soul than my clothing. You are exactly right. But Paul says, be careful what you do lest you become a stumbling block to someone else. You don't want to be a stumbling block, so you got to watch the way you look in church. But we also wore choir robes because it represented unity. Everybody looked the same. And nothing more is interesting and antagonizing than me is we say we're going to wear black and white. And somebody's going to show up with off-white, this shade of black, that shade of black. Quadro, we don't have that problem. See, they're all the same. And I know it's hot, but that's why we pay all the money we pay for electricity. Turn the air condition up. And if that's an issue in terms of your voice, then we got to work that out. But there's a reason why we do those kind of things. Talking about ritual again. It has meaning. And it's in the choir. Have you noticed that? It's in the choir. There's a reason why the ushers wear what they wear. They all look the same. It creates unity. It has meaning. And then you want to be identifiable. One thing that bothers me about gospel music now, it sounds so much like R&B, it has no distinctive sound anymore. I can't tell if that's gospel or not. Well, listen, when I heard Charlie Wilson being played on a gospel station, I'm thinking, what in the heck? Just because he quotes God in a song? Charlie Wilson on a gospel station? Now, I know Charlie Wilson a little Lord, but come on, Charlie Wilson ain't singing gospel. 
Charlie Wilson sing R and B. Once again, that ain't got nothing to do with the choir. I'm all off now. That ain't got nothing to do with the choir. I'm off. I'm off. I'm off. I'm off. Forgive me. That's that's a homiletical mistake. I'm off. That's it's got nothing to do with the choir. But we need a choir. Every church needs a choir. They have a meaning. And let me throw this final practical. You need a choir also because if there are 20 seats here filled, that means there are 20 seats there empty. And that means that we have now an evangelistic opportunity to fill the empty seat there because they're over here. We also need a choir because through the singing of the gospel, someone's heart may be turned toward receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I can tell you as a pastor and has done a lot of funerals, I've witnessed people who have sung, the, who have listened to the singing of the old hymns. Man, how I wish we would somehow grasp the importance of those hymns and the importance of black spirituals. We don't know what we're missing when we don't allow ourselves to sing the spirituals. Young people don't know the impact of them because they don't hear them. They don't hear them. And by not hearing them, then I can't reinforce to them why it's important that this is not only a part of your history, but listen to the lyrics. There's theology in the lyrics. There's God talk in the lyrics. There's hope in the lyrics. There's aspiration in the lyrics. That's stuff we sing now. It'll get me going, but it's almost like microwave. If you don't eat it quick. I mean, I just know when you warm some up in the oven, it stay warm a long, long time. But when you warm that thing up in the microwave, you got to eat it quick. And you know what happens in terms of your gastrological issues when you eat too fast. That's the way it is in the gospel. We want instantaneous growth or we want everything instantly. Doesn't happen that way. That's why our ancestors talked about toiling, 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 toiling through the night because they know some things ain't going to come in my lifetime but I got to keep fighting that my ancestors and my progenitors those who will come after me will experience the fruit of the vine that's why you need a choir because those little children we sing sing in front of this altar one day are going to stand in that choir law. If they stay in church long enough, they're going to have their own children. And hopefully they'll stand in front of that altar and they will eventually take the place of their mothers and fathers or right alongside them. It's the one ministry in church where everybody can participate. Lord, lead someone to the saving grace of who you are on this Lord's day.